Welcome to the Pearls of Wisdom podcast by Cold Tea Collective. You're listening to episode five of the Entrepreneur Series, where we share stories of inspiring Asian entrepreneurs and their journeys. I'm Natasha Jung, and I'm your host for this podcast. Now, this episode is a very special one because it's an event recording from our very first event held on September 23rd, 2019 in our hometown of Vancouver, BC. You're going to hear more about Colty Collective, short talks from our four featured entrepreneurs, followed by a panel discussion and questions from our audience. Now, if you want to skip to hearing stories from our entrepreneurs directly, you're going to find them near the 10-minute mark. Also, at the 38-minute mark is where you're going to start listening to our panel discussion. A huge thank you once again to all of our entrepreneurs that were featured in this series, in particular, Sonia Chinji, Matt Murtaugh Wu, Bob Wang, and Vivian McCormick. Thank you also to our volunteers, FMAV for the recording, and Andy Lee for editing our podcast. Now, for more on the in-depth stories of each of our speakers, check out coldteacollective.com slash the dash entrepreneur dash series. That's right. That's coldteacollective.com slash the dash entrepreneur dash series. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for more Pearls of Wisdom. That's great. Welcome, everybody, to the first ever Cold Tea Collective panel event, the Entrepreneur Series. My name is Josea Chung. I'm the editor-in-chief for uh, Cold Tea Collective, and I'm your MC today. Welcome. If you're, you know, before time, if you want to come on in, we got room, nice and tight. We've all been on Asian subways. We know how to get cozy. Let's, uh, let's bring it in so we're all big family. Before we begin, I want to uh, acknowledge that the land on which we gather is the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Salatooth nations. Show of hands, who is coming to a Kulti event for the first time? That's a trick question because this is the first one, so it should be all of you. Good job. You've all passed. A plus. Right? Good one. Who has heard of Colty Collective before buying tickets to this? Yeah, it's pretty good. It's a good percentage. Um, and finally, who here is an entrepreneur or hoping to be an entrepreneur? Nice. It's great to see. Great to see the turnout. Great to see the punctuality as well, too. I know it's probably just after work, but yeah, I know, right? <laughs> the Asian counter, the Vancouver lateness. So what a night we have for you guys. What a year we've had for Colty Collective. Um, we set out to be for Asians, by Asians, for us, by us, like these shirts. Some of us, Natasha's got one. Um, we just got these done this weekend, so you know, let us know your feedback on some of these shirts. Um, our team has grown a lot over this last year, over these last few months more editors, more writers, we've got podcasts, we've got videos, we've got events, we've got a book club. Um, yeah, we've got a lot. So do check us out if this is your first time you've wandered in to www.culticollective.com. And we have our founder stories there. So that's something you could read on. We have a lot of other stories. Our target, of course, is North American Asian millennials. Whether you fall in that age range or not, you're, much, you're very welcome to read. Um, got to uh, switch this up. So be sure to tag us on social media. We've got 
uh, Twitter, Cold Tea Media, and also on Insta Stories, Cold Tea Collective, and hashtag Cold Tea Collective. So take a lot of videos, tell your friends, share. Tonight, we have four inspiring entrepreneurs who will share parts of their story, and then there'll be some Q&A and some panel discussion. So that's something we have to look forward to. We also have some prizes from Woodlot, Hustle, and Prototype Thinking Labs to give away. Uh, so if you got tickets at the door, I believe you all do, bring that out later and we'll do some prize draws, which we all love free stuff, because we're Asian. <laughs> There's also a lot of people who helped out with this campaign, whether it's behind the scenes with articles, whether it's putting together this event. So Cold Tea, if you're part of the Cold Tea Collective team, can you just raise your hand so we could see? Don't be shy. Don't be shy, there's a few. Yeah. Thank you. Let's give them a hand. We also, sorry, we also want to give a shout out to uh, D6. Um, Mateo and Savan, I hope I'm saying that name right, has been so gracious in, sort of, in accommodating and opening their space for us tonight. Um, and so, you know, we're gonna give them a shout out, come here for happy hour, there's events, meetings, and Friday, Saturday, if for those who, you know, club still, <laughs> come on by, there's that private room there. So, um, yeah, thanks again, D6, for uh, opening the space for us. Finally, I want to introduce Natasha Jung. Um, not only is she the founder of Kulti Collective, um, you've probably seen her or met her, or you're here because you know her, because she knows everybody. Um, she's also a producer, a host, a career consultant, and she's also our panel host for tonight. So let's welcome up Natasha. Let's um, give Hosea a round of applause. He's our, uh, I call him my boss because he's our editor in chief. So he oversees all the content direction and the strategic direction of that. And he's, uh, he, along with all of our other team members, have really worked so hard to build our team over the last uh, couple years, actually, most specifically in the last few months. But um, I just want to tell you a little bit about um, why we actually you know, decided on this theme. Um, so actually, uh, over the last year, we've covered a lot in entertainment because you guess what? Crazy Rich Asians kind of opened up the floodgates for everything, right? Um, but th that being said, um, before Crazy Rich Asians, before Subtle Asian Traits, we actually, there was Cold Tea Collective. And <laughs> believe it or not, we actually have the articles to prove that we came up before those things. Um, but really, at the beginning, we just kind of started because we wanted to create a space for stories for us, by us. So a space where we could tell stories where we didn't have to give any explanation. Explanation, you get it, yeah. I, it's not my joke, it's Hosea's actually, so I have to give him all the credit for that because got, I gotta give him the byline for that for anyone who's in journalism. Um, but really, like, we just wanted to create a space where we could, you know, write stories where we could be ourselves, be authentic, and hopefully, um, if you do get a chance to read some of our stories, listen to our podcast, you'll be able to see that as well. Um, so really, like, it's just been an amazing opportunity to work alongside with Hosea and a number of our other volunteers in the room, and it's really cool to be here in front of, actually, a room of, I believe it, Hosea, believe it or not, I actually 
don't know a lot of people in this room tonight. So no, no, for sure, like for reals. Or if like, you know, I don't know that, I don't know. It's just, I have a lot of new friends to make in this room tonight. So I'm very, very excited for that. Um, I'm also very excited to introduce you um, to uh, one of uh, my good friends and a very good supporter of Colty Collective. Um, he is also um, part of a group called Van Citypreneur. So Van Citypreneur is a community chapter within Van City Hub, and their team is on a mission to strengthen communities across Metro Vancouver. Um, so Van Citypreneur, uh, actually, they, they host quite a few meetups and events, all focused on, of course, entrepreneurs. And so I, we couldn't think of anyone better to partner up with on this event. Uh, they've been so amazing in terms of helping uh, promote the event, as well as um, Van Citypreneur is actually kind of a community group based under Joda Creative, who is a creative agency, and they're going to be doing our videos tonight as well. So, yes, give them a round of applause. That's, I'll, I'll invite them up in just a sec. Um, so, of course, if you want to be re-inspired by the talks tonight and some of the highlights of the evening, please check back on um, our social media to make sure you capture those um, inspiring pearls of wisdom, as we call it, that's the name of our podcast, um, from all of our speakers here tonight. Um, but for now, I'm actually going to invite Daniel Gogolin up to the stage to uh, say a few words on behalf of Vance Dupreneur. Daniel. Thank you, Natasha. Um, yeah, it's a privilege to be here tonight. Uh, so happy to be partnering with Colty Collective on this event. And um, it fit really well with the mission that we were doing at Van City Hub. So like I said, it felt like a no-brainer. Um, yeah, at Van City Hub, uh, like Natasha said, we are on a mission to strengthen communities in Vancouver. And uh, so we do that by hosting uh, many different types of events and meetups on a monthly basis, uh, kind of on a four-chapter sort of basis. So we run chapters for the fashion community, uh, the music community, the entrepreneur community, and the creative community. And so within these chapters, we host quite a few different events and things. So uh, check us out. It's just at Van City on Instagram if you're curious to kind of learn more about what we're up to in the different chapters. And uh, again, thanks so much to Natasha and the whole team at Colty Collective for putting on such an amazing night and for bringing entrepreneurs together. Thank you. Thanks, Daniel. Excellent. I also want to give a special thank you to FMAV. They are our audio-visual company for tonight, and they are experts in event AV production and post-production. Now, I've seen them produce events you know, smaller than this and much larger than this as well, and honestly, every single time, they hit it out of the park. So if you are yourself an event planner, want to host an event, definitely uh, say hi to FMAV. Where's Jan? Jan's at the very back there. He's waving his hand up in the sky. He's got glasses on, looking very dapper. Uh, make sure you say hi to him, and um, he'll make sure you're taking care of. Alrighty, so who's ready to get inspired? <laughs> Woo! I just made that up. It's so cheesy. I know, I know. But hopefully, um, but, but honestly, like all these, all these speakers um, are have very different and very inspiring stories. I'm really excited to share them with you tonight. So, um, very first up, we have Sonia Chinji. She is the co-founder and CEO of Woodlot, a Canadian health, beauty, and wellness company, which honestly you've probably seen online, being used by your favorite lifestyle influencers, at the boutique around the corner, or probably in your friends' living rooms. Now, Sonia started Woodlot along with her partner, Fouad Faraj, in 2014 in the, their Vancouver kitchen, producing their signature, drumroll for the page turn, uh, their signature clean-burning GMO-free, 
GMO-free, not GMO, yeah, GMO-free soy-based coconut candles and plant-based soaps. And she has a really cool story about how that came to be. Now, before becoming an entrepreneur, she worked in hospitality and human resources at a tech company. Um, but more than that, she's just an amazing person. She's also um, donated some prizes uh, for tonight and also provided uh, some of the speaker gifts. So we'll be able to share that with you a little bit later. Um, so without further ado, please give a warm welcome to Sonia. So they said I get to set the stage of like whether or not I'm going to stand or sit. So I'm going to sit actually because everyone, yeah, I'm going to sit. Sorry guys, I hope that's okay with you. Um, so firstly, I just want to go off script and just say this is, I've been to a lot of events um, attending and just in general um, when I worked in tech and hosted a lot of events and this is probably one of the um, sharpest looking audiences I've seen in a long time. So props to you all, like getting out here in the rain and being here to support everyone that's uh, speaking and just around you. Um, so growing up, actually Natasha and I talked quite a bit about this, but growing up I've never really thought much about my um, South Asian heritage because born and raised uh, here in Vancouver, uh, well born in Surrey, have been living in Vancouver for quite a while now, but um, immigrant parents and I just remember growing up always wanting to like fight my mom with everything that she wanted to uh, inspire me with, educate me with and really um, was like running away a lot from my culture. However, um, coming from a South Asian family, um, that's quite hard to do when you have a persistent mother. So growing up, I was always surrounded by um, home-cooked meals. There's a lot of different scents um, in, in our home. I grew up with a lot of uh, incense, a lot of, uh, you know, I guess I mentioned this already, but food being um, prepared. So there was really uh, no way for me to run away from uh, my culture, even though I tried very hard. I was always encouraged to uh, go to school, uh, follow a very um, safe path. Um, my, my father is an entrepreneur, but my mom was always encouraging us to go to school, become either a doctor, lawyer, um, dentist, or go into finance. I took their advice. I went to school but ended up falling into hospitality and tourism uh, where I spent a number of years working in a number of different hotels here in Vancouver and uh, following that ended up uh, finding a path in technology and that was all uh, by way of um, by way of love but going back to uh, my childhood I remember like a lot of um, like a lot of my memories around home were around, as I mentioned, scent. And one in particular was sitting there with my mom and uh, hand rolling cotton wicks and uh, placing them into tea lights full of ghee and uh, making tea lights for uh, Diwali. I'm not sure if anyone here is familiar with this festival, but it's pretty big in, uh, in India. And um, so this was like a huge part of my upbringing and I, I remember trying to like fight it a lot, but obviously, you know, wanted to make her happy and was there to help um, participate in, in this action. So what I'm trying to say is a lot of my childhood was spent really fighting my culture. And uh, I, 
through my um, experiences working in various different industries have always been drawn back to uh, my culture, whether it's with food, whether it's with scent, whether it's with making things. Um, after working in hospitality, I spent um, a number of years, as I mentioned, working in tech. Um, and that's when I met my partner, Fuad, who is of a uh, Middle Eastern background. And him and I were talking one day and sharing stories about growing up. I grew up here and he grew up in Lebanon. And he uh, kind of shared with me a story about his family and how they would make soap and also grew up in a home where there was always food being made and a lot of different scents. And to come back to today, we, um, well, not today, five years ago, um, we were starting to make a lot of products in our apartment. Um, we started by making soap and then started to look at uh, making candles and other products um, in our home. And what I realized, um, during the process of even starting a company was as much as I was always running away from some of these um, things that like I made up of, they just showed up in, in places when I needed them the most. Um, in the last year, we had a baby. We had a, um, a son who wouldn't have, like it really wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for being um, here in Canada because it's very unlikely for a South Asian woman to marry an Arabic or a Middle Eastern um, male. But I think a lot about how, especially about my heritage more now than ever, I think a lot about my son and how we want him, how we want him to feel about everything that we've learned and how we put all of this um, thought and energy into what we make as a business. And yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to share. Thank you. Oh, you want so me to keep this? Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, what I really loved about um, your story, Sonia, is just that you're just so raw and authentic, and um, especially when talking about you know what it was like growing up in your home and some of the challenges that you know a lot of people, um, especially across like the entire Asian diaspora, that you know we face day to day. And, you know, certainly there are different ways that we explore that, but you've explored that and you turned it into a business. So. That's uh, super, super cool. Um, to hear more about Sonia's story, go to coldteacollective.com, go under features, and um, you'll actually see um, her full-on article as well as our extended podcast interview with her to learn a little bit more about Woodlot. Cool. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you. Okay, and next, I introduced you royalty. Um, Matt Murtawu is the founder of The Dumpling King, a handmade frozen dumpling delivery business in Vancouver. He's a former finance professional who took his passion and interest in Chinese history and culture and channeled that into food. He's passionate about the intersectionality of culture, ethnicity, history, food, gender, and sexuality. So please welcome the Dumpling King. Am I on? Oh my God. All right, well, um, thank you so much for spending your Monday night here with us and uh, the desire to connect and to uh, learn about us. So um, my business, when people ask me who, what I do, it starts with, uh, I run a food delivery business. And people go, okay, hmm, is that DoorDash? Is that Skip the Dishes? I said, no, I'm not a driver. Um, it's a frozen dumpling delivery business. And then people go, Wow, okay. Um, so 
my business is a frozen dumpling delivery business, and it's mandated on sourcing its ingredients from Vancouver's Chinatown. So I source my ingredients from, I don't know if you guys know Dollar Meats, Yuncheng, forever. Uh, they make barbecue pork, they're a butcher. Um, so they've been in business for over 47 years. So going back to what I said, my business is mandated on sourcing as many ingredients as it can from Vancouver's Chinatown. With that, I go back to my kitchen, I mix everything by hand, fold everything by hand, freeze it, and then deliver it to my clients all over the city. Um, so going back to usually how the conversation goes when people ask me what I do, um, it starts with, yes, I, do a, I have a frozen dumpling delivery business, but there's, over the past three years of running this show alone, um, it's kind of morphed into a lot of other things where I've been able to have a platform to show what I'm interested in, what I love, and my skill sets in many different ways. So aside from a frozen dumpling delivery business, uh, I freelance write. Uh, I have written for Vice, Daily Hive, and I cover topics as simply as a listicle with where to find the best pho in the city. I'm half Chinese, so any Vietnamese people in here, please don't, yeah. Um, <laughs> So aside from that, you know, I've sort of branched off from just writing about food and sort of like the very uh, superficial aspects of dining in the city to more abstract um, topics regarding gender and race and cultural appropriation because, as you can see, I may not look necessarily Chinese to you, whatever that means. Um, my father's from Hong Kong and my dad, or my, my father's from Hong Kong and my mom's from, uh, from Victoria. So dumpling delivery business, uh, freelance writing, um, I also do pop-ups in local restaurants and I collaborate with local businesses. So um, I've worked with local businesses in the city and I'm at a cocktail bar every, every Saturday called Soap in Chinatown. So my business, what I wanna say is that my business has moved from simply uh, like a quasi art project that turned into a business, a, a quasi viable business into something which is inadvertently connecting people and people get stoked about dumplings and they're interested in me and my story and it resonates with them and it balances back and it reverberates with everybody. So I think it has a lot to be said about the Asian or mixed race experience in North America or especially in Vancouver because you know we're from, we're the first sort of vanguard of like what it means to be a Canadian or a mixed race or Asian Canadian. So um, that's my business. and. Follow me on Instagram, The Real Dumpling King. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I actually first found out about Matt on Instagrams, and I just had to slide into his DMs and be like, can we just talk about your business and about your persona? Like, are you actually like as extra as you are? <laughs> yeah, pretty extra. <laughs> and he is. By far, he totally is. Uh, but before that, I mean, I've seen, you know, what you're talking about. You'll see the looks on people's faces when you... Yeah, I saw a lot of eyebrows raised in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you share your dumplings with them, right? Yeah. And, uh, it's got some amazing flavors. Uh, definitely check them out. Um, you've also got your Hapa clothing line. Yeah. Well. It's, uh, yeah. Check it out. Yeah, Website. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The little Buy my stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, more than that, I, I just also love how you support local business. Yeah. And, um, really just by supporting other local businesses that are the cornerstone of this community, um, you essentially kind of lock in your, your kind of place in this community as well. Yeah. So thanks for doing that. Thank you so much, guys. All righty. We'll hear more from Matt later. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. <laughs>
Uh, speaking of thank yous, I also want to give a thank you to Periphery Digital. Periphery Digital is a Vancouver-based agency that works to connect Chinese and Canadian audiences. They design campaigns for Chinese language viewers by creating intuitive digital marketing, media, and PR strategies. So we have Alex and Dave from Periphery. Just wave your hands. Yes, I know Dave is fully Caucasian, but he speaks fluent Mandarin. If you want to be mind blown, go have a conversation with him. Uh, maybe Alex too, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> it's okay, we're friends, it's, it's fine. <laughs> I also want to give a special thank you to Corporate Challenge Canada, who helps companies jumpstart their team culture through planned sports and events. We have James Durante from Corporate Challenge Canada. Wave your hand. He's at the bar, of naturally, he's at the bar. <laughs> James is a, a, a good old friend of mine from university. Um, we also want to thank Fresh Prep for their prize donation given to an early bird ticket buyer. Is anyone from Fresh Prep here? Right over there, yes, right by the pillar. Please go say hi to our friend over there. Excellent. Next up, we are going to introduce our third speaker, Bob Wang. He is the founder of Legacy Advantage CPA, now Control by Deloitte, and he can tell you a little bit about that. Uh, so Bob is actually originally from the Czech Republic, and he immigrated to Canada, specifically Coquitlam, at age 11. His father was an entrepreneur running a textile business, so while other kids were playing on playgrounds, Bob was actually playing in warehouses, because of course, what do you do when you're an Asian business owner? You bring your kid to work with you. <laughs> Every day. Yeah, every day, yeah. Okay, that's where you get your work ethic from, right? Yeah, exactly. Cheap, cheap labor, is that what you said? I, yeah. I was uh, paid with dumplings. Oh, <laughs> very good. I wouldn't mind that, actually, also. Um, he, so he actually is an, account, is an accountant, and he left a big four firm to create his own, and he'll tell you more about that journey himself. Um, we just found out today that he was actually named Top 40 Under 40 by the CPA Practice Advisory Board. So let's give him a round of applause, congratulate him, and welcome him up. Thank you, guys. So I caved under pressure and became an accountant. So if you're an accountant, you're okay. <laughs> you, you will be okay. Uh, seven years ago, I started my career at a big four accounting firm uh, doing the typical things, taxes, audits, reviews, stuff like that. Uh, but in order for me to do my job, I actually had to rely on the inputs provided by the bookkeepers. Now, bookkeepers typically do the day-to-day, -day, you know, data entry, sales taxes, stuff like that. But a lot of times what happened is um, the inputs that I got were very poor. They had a lot of mistakes, which means I had to spend time fixing those mistakes and it led to a lot of frustrations from all parties. You know, I had to put in extra time, I blew the budget, my partner was really upset, and the clients were faced with an extra bill. So it was a really negative experience for all parties that were involved. And so, um, um, and, and more importantly, um, the entrepreneurs who had these businesses, they didn't get accurate financials each month, which means they were, they were like driving 100 miles an hour without knowing if they're still on the path to profitability. And that's really, really scary, especially if you have a high growth business. So I asked myself, why is that, right? And the, and the problem was that CPA firms didn't want to do bookkeeping because it's not profitable and it's not sexy. <laughs> uh, and bookkeepers don't, don't necessarily have the training to, to account for the complex transactions. So there's a, there a gap in the market, right? So I asked myself, why can't there be a bookkeeping firm that provides you know, bookkeeping in a profitable way and, and do it properly. Why, why can't there be a business like that? So, so, um, so I, I started, I, start, I, I did it, I started it. 
you know, I started a business called, I, I, I solved it, I, I just went ahead and, and did it. Uh, actually, a lot of people ask me, you know, if it's so simple to solve, why haven't other people done it? And honestly, I didn't care. I just knew that I had to be the one to solve it. I didn't wait for others to solve my problems. So I started the business Legacy Advantage, um, and the, the traction was immediate. You know, there was a product market fit, so to speak. In the first year, we did half a million dollars. In the second year, we doubled. And in third year, we on track to doubling again. We were acquired by Deloitte for $1.8 million. Now I have a job again. <laughs> so far, so good. Um, yeah, so, so the lesson I wanted to, to share is that um, the, the main reason I am here today is because I asked the right questions. When you see a problem in your life, don't wait for other people to solve it for you. You have to be the one to solve it because you identify the problem. Me? Can't, can't be me. I don't have the skill. I don't have the money. I don't have... Guys, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you don't have. It matters that you have the skill and the will and the desire to achieve. Truth be told, the most important skill set you have in life and business is asking the right questions. And the right question is, let me add, the right question is not, why can't it be done? The right question is always, how can I do it? How can we do it? How can we solve this problem? Good luck. Thank you so much. And especially, are there any accountants in the room? Just raise your hands. Couple in the back, okay. There's some over there, over there. okay, hiding. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, certainly, um, you know, it was funny, because when we did our, your podcast interview, I, I kind of introduced you in the podcast as a, you're an accountant turned entrepreneur, and you're just like, well, I think I was always entrepreneurial, especially, you know, given that you were working in, in your dad's, like, factory and warehouses yeah. for, like, at a, at a young age. Um, so it's really awesome to hear about, you know, how, you're still able to, well, hopefully still able to, to do that, you know, now that you have a job, right? I mean, you guys got bought out, but um, <laughs> looking forward to hearing a little bit more about that on yeah, the panel. Absolutely. Great. Thank you so much, Bob. Let's give him another round of applause. Alrighty, so last but not least, we have Vivian McCormick. She is the co-founder of Flax Sleep, a direct-to-consumer linen bedding company. Now, not only is Vivian a co-founder, but she's actually quite immersed in the entrepreneurship space. She works with early stage entrepreneurs and helping them raise investment capital. And she can hopefully give us some tips on that throughout, throughout the, the night tonight. Um, she's also the co-founder of an event that just happened uh, last week called the Lady Business Summit, focusing a, a conference focusing on tactical support and community for women entrepreneurs and um, before that, you might be interested to know that she was actually a practicing lawyer for over a decade. She worked for a national law firm and then worked with the Business Development Bank of Canada. So lots of cool bits of wisdom there. And now we invite her onto the stage, Vivian McCormick, everyone. Hi. Everybody can hear me? So are there any lawyers in the room? Oh, hi. Oh, yeah, my husband. That's one. One more. Okay, cool. Um, all right. So I'll start. I will tell you a little bit more. I'll tell you about the business uh, and kind of some of the other things that are going on. But I will start a little bit before and tell you about how I got there. Um, so I'm born and raised in the Lower Mainland. 
Um, I've lived in Vancouver, I did the math last night, for about 20 years, which is kind of shocking. Um, my parents, who are both here tonight. Um, yeah, so good, I know. They immigrated to Canada to attend university back in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, so I did an undergrad in commerce at UBC. Anybody go to UBC for commerce? Well, for anything, yeah, okay. Um, so I did my undergrad at UBC. I did an HR degree. Didn't really know what I wanted to do after that with HR, so I thought, okay, you know what, I'll just write the LSAT. That can't be that hard. Wrong. Um, and then uh, I, I ended up going to law school, so seven straight years actually at UBC. Um, and when I graduated from UBC, I did what most um, law students do, which is went to work at a big national firm uh, here in Vancouver. Um, so I articled, uh, got called to the bar, became an associate, and I worked for about five years in real estate and banking law. Um, you know what, I liked it. Like, law is great. I, I actually, you know, I was saying on the podcast, like, I don't regret anything that I've gone and done and all of those steps that I've taken because, you know, my law degree, nobody can ever take that. And, uh, and I, it, it makes me think differently. I do think about things a little bit uh, in a, a bit, probably a bit more of an analytical way. Um, so I like the law and I was actually quite comfortable working for clients. I was quite comfortable building up my negotiation skills. Um, what I found difficult over quite early on actually was just understanding and seeing the sustainability of what I was doing. Um, you know, I also learned quite quickly about myself that balance does not come very naturally to me. So I actually ended up self-selecting out of what I realized was something that was probably going to create a lot of burnout on my on my part. So as Natasha mentioned, I ended up at the, the BDC. So for anybody who's not familiar, the BDC is a, a federally supported uh, business development bank that um, lends money stri strictly to entrepreneurs. Um, so really cool place, um, very helpful for Canadian business. Um, so I went there and honestly it was a complete opposite. Like I was there in-house lawyer and I had completely predictable hours and minimal stress. But again, I couldn't really see the sustainability of that for the long term, mostly because you know I thought I could maybe be doing a little bit more. Um, so even then, I didn't see myself necessarily as an entrepreneurial person. I was always good at uh, business development with clients when I worked in the law firm, but I just thought that was part of my job. But I came to see, you know, still watching a lot of entrepreneurs struggle um, with getting financing. So yeah, I do help people with that, and and uh, and Bob's totally right. It's it's partly not being able to get financing for your businesses a lot of times because you don't you know, you don't have your stuff together. And that's really tough because by the time you need money, it's too late to kind of put all that stuff together. Total sidebar. Um, anyway, at the BDC, uh, still didn't really think too much about entrepreneurship. Um, I do credit my brother, who is much more entrepreneurial than me. I credit him with getting me to think about it more generally. Um, and what he actually got me thinking about was that a lot of entrepreneurs had the same struggles and the ones that Bob talks about that a lot of people don't start a business to keep all their affairs in order properly. They don't start a business. They start one because they see a need. And then, funny enough, if it's successful, that's usually actually where things get really hairy, right? And, and you lose control of keeping everything uh, all organized. So 
I decided to leave the BDC to actually become a consultant to try to help people um, keep their business organized, keep their operations efficient. Um, and I have to say, like when I left, I said to my husband, you know, what I would like is just to have a little bit more impact on business owners. Um, as the lawyer for the bank, I was advising bankers on what they should do, what they shouldn't do. I wasn't talking to the entrepreneurs directly, but I knew that they struggled with certain things. So that's what I wanted to go and do. Um, it wasn't easy. I, you know, definitely felt sometimes like, what did I do? What, what am I doing? Right? People would ask me, and that was a tough thing to kind of explain what I was trying to do. Anyway, about two months uh, into that consulting world, I was working with a few clients and helping entrepreneurs and like doing what I wanted to do. Um, and then my business partner, one of my business partners, uh, brought this idea of flax sleep to myself and uh, our other partner who I actually went to law school with. So um, she had uh, bought a bed, the like first adult thing, you know, when you buy your bed frame and you buy a mattress that you didn't take from your parents' house. So she had done that. And she couldn't find bedding for it that she wanted. You know, she was very, you know, she was quite particular about kind of a nice quality thing, but not blowing the bank on bedding that costs more than your bed itself. Um, and so as we did a little bit more research, we realized that what she actually wanted was something that we probably could offer and that wasn't already being offered uh, in Canada. And uh, so we started a direct-to-consumer e-commerce business. I had no experience whatsoever in sourcing, running a website, um, you know, social media was for fun. It's not so much anymore, I guess. It's more, a lot of it's for business, but um, yeah. So, you know, I have to say, I brought some of those skills that I have from the law days and from the banking days, I brought those to this business, but there's a lot of stuff that we did not know how to do. And so, you know, much like all of these other people that are sitting with me tonight, there's a lot of things you will not know. And it's the same thing we would hold a room full of female entrepreneurs on Friday. That's okay. You need to just figure out what you don't know. You need to figure out who does know it, how to harness that kind of, and leverage that kind of knowledge from other people. But ultimately, like, you know, if you've got a good idea and you take some time to validate it and you think that there, this is something worth pursuing, do it. You will find the people that can support you along the way. A lot of times people in your community, like it's not even that you're just paying for people to help you, it's, it's that people want to help you and will come out and try to do as much as they can to, to further your business alongside you. So that's my story. Thank you. Thanks Vivian. Um, so I guess that's, there's so much more to unpack to that. Uh, just once again, like to hear more about like how like Flax Sleep came together, definitely want to check out the full podcast, the full article to hear more about that. But it's really cool to hear about your journey and how you were somehow like awakened to like, this isn't going to be sustainable. It's not a really a long-term thing. And maybe we can touch upon that uh, on the panel. So I guess at this time, let's uh, invite the rest of our speakers up. Let's give them another round of applause as they make their way back up to the front. Okay, um, so we're gonna do a little bit of a panel discussion here, but of course, um, I do wanna open up the opportunity for everyone else to ask questions too, but I guess maybe I'll just kinda kick it off a little bit here. Um, so I, this is a question for all of the panelists here. Did you ever think you would be an entrepreneur? 
we can start with, uh, yeah, well, we, Vivian, she already said no. <laughs> Bob? I, I think so. Um, you know, as mentioned, I, my, my family came from nothing. My grandparents are actually tofu makers. Um, it was a very hard job in, in communist China. And my, my dad had the opportunity to go to Germany and, and see what's out there. And his eyes are open. And, and there, therefore, we transitioned to Czech Republic to, to, to live. And, and my dad had a successful business there. And I saw what, what a successful business can do to change a family destiny. Um, and I didn't want to squander that. I wanted to stand on his shoulders and take the next step. And I saw the hard work that went into entrepreneurship, but I also saw the great reward that that can bring. And so in a way, I was always an entrepreneur, just looking for the right idea. And, um, and you know, because I didn't know what the right idea was, I wanted to learn the language of business, hence I went into accounting. So I think you know, every step was quite purposeful, but uh, it's always about being an entrepreneur. entrepreneur. I Hello. Ring, ring. <laughs> Just had to wake it up. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur growing up. Um, my father uh, has his own business. So I grew around, he, when, I, when I was growing up, he was a real estate agent. So that's like sales 101. So being subject to that, and my mother worked with a workers' compensation. So I had sort of two sides of, uh, of that experience of being self-employed and, and working in a larger institution. I always wanted to be entrepreneurial, but I didn't think I had what it took. So this business is my first business, and it's a crash course in knowing yourself and knowing what you're capable of. Um, but for those out there who have ideas that they want to realize or to test, the only way you're going to know is if you go. Um, so that's me. I think subconsciously, I probably knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, I think I mentioned earlier, my a lot of my family um, is and are entrepreneurs. But I, I'm really happy though that I spent my 20s working in a various um, like various industries, hospitality, tech, um, and got a lot of learnings from those industries because I feel like a lot of that has really helped uh, shape the company that I started today and having a chance to work with entrepreneurs, um, not only at a Thinking Ape, but prior to that um, at Boot Up and seeing just a range of entrepreneurship from uh, companies like coming together and raising money and falling apart and being acquired and just the steps of it, I think really um, for sure helped uh, me when I took that leap. But I don't think I sat there in you know, grade five when they ask you what you want to be when you grow up, wrote down entrepreneur. I think I wrote down um, like lawyer or something actually, like Ooh. criminal lawyer, because I always liked like criminal shows, like <laughs> Dangerous Minds or something. So Ooh, I think that's lawyer a good was always like what I wanted to be, but then you know, I fell into something completely different. That's a, that's a great question. Sorry, do, Matt, do you have yeah, something to follow up on that? I going to say that our generation defines itself because of the past before by what you learn in school, what will define you in the future. So you go to school for a certain thing and, you know, I studied later imperial Chinese history, philosophy and culture and the language. So I thought that I was going to be an academic and spend my life in school indefinitely, but to shed yourself and learn and to shed yourself from that type of thinking and thinking that your education will define you and 
why am I not using this? And oh my God, I just spent five, six years, seven, seven years in school. That's going to be to your detriment. And it's really onto you to put those pieces together and connect the dots, which make you an entrepreneur. That is a hustler, not like I went to school for business because most of those people are working for someone else. So just saying that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I have a couple points to add on that. Like the first one, you can do the math. Entrepreneurship was not a thing when I was in business school. Like those were not, that was not an option. Um, it was like accounting, finance, HR. Uh, yeah, it was, those were the standards, right? So entrepreneurship is offered at every university nowadays and like that is so cool. I actually just spent the last, um, earlier this year, I was coaching 14 year olds on how to pitch their business. That is so cool. I, I, you know, I feel like I've started really late, but that's okay. And the other piece that, that uh, Matt touched on is that um, when I first started, when we first started the business, when I first left my job, part of me thought, like, do I need to go back to school to learn how to do this next piece? Do I need to go get an MBA? Uh, I bought a bunch of MBA books. I never read them. I didn't have time. <laughs> um, but... You know, the other thing I realized really quickly is that so much of what we do now is learning on the fly. So I don't know how many times a day I'm Googling how to do something. And that's, you know, there's great resources out there. There's videos, there's like all kinds of things. And I realized really quickly that school is sort of a, it's, a, it's just different now. You don't, you don't learn there. You do, I mean, you can learn something, but it's, it's just not necessarily what you might need for your day-to-day -day of your business. That's all over the internet. You can just figure all of that out um, sitting right in your, own, in your own home. Go to, go to school, though. <laughs> Stay in school, kids. Go to school <laughs> because, you know, the structure of, of, of the traditional education system still has value. And that's silly to just totally disregard that as like, you know, as not worth time. Um, but it is on to you, like to be a hustler or to like start a business or whatever, or see a market gap or whatever, um, that comes from you. And it doesn't matter if you went to university or you didn't go to university or you're a lawyer or a doctor or whatever, like that entrepreneurial grit and that spirit isn't, could be in anyone. So um, go to school learn what you're passionate about, which is a huge privilege in the Western world to go and study what you want to. But um, the desire to learn will serve you in the future, regardless of anything. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think um, what you're also touching about there too, if I may just like build on that, is um, you can be an entrepreneur, but not necessarily have your own business. Um, there's a term intrapreneurship as well. You know, you might be working for another company. Whatever works for you. Like, yeah, just so you know, you can bring all these. <laughs> no, 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 but exactly. You could just bring all these like great ideas, you know, make things more efficient, more effective, and still get a paycheck. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. it's not guaranteed the, the, the paycheck when you're an entrepreneur, right? So. Um, well, I, I, yeah. I do want to touch on that because a lot of times people think entrepreneurship is more risky. But entrepreneurship is actually all about mitigating risk. And, and actually, in my perspective, it's actually the least risky thing you can do. Because, yeah, <laughs> you're, you know, no one, no one can fire you. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. If you make a mistake, it's all good. Um, you choose how late you want to work or how, how much you want to slack off. You choose the team that you work with because you hire them. Um, if you, you know, 
I, I didn't see any risk, and um, partly because I'm an accountant, so I can always go back and get a job. But <laughs> I, I, I didn't, you know, if if you have an idea and you're afraid, like, don't be, because I, I think, you know, if you have the right mentality and you limit the risks, it's the least one of the least risky things you can do. I think um, just for a point of departure for conversation stake because we're up here and we're entrepreneurs like <laughs> working completely by like it has to work with what you want and your level of how much you want to take a risk on something and how much you're passionate about something like there's nothing wrong with working on the side and having a little side project like there is no extreme you have to adhere to it's whatever you feel comfortable with and how much you want to engage with your self-agency and trying to make your own money on your terms so like don't feel like because I struggled with this for a long time, um, working in finance and then watching my father who had a really uh, large impression on me and being self-sufficient and not answering to anybody and all that. Like, it's really on to you and having the confidence that you don't need to jump off and take a risk right away and, and, and put all the, all the eggs in one basket and, you know, have that sort of... Um, outlook on starting a business or realizing yourself in a, in a, in a, in a business sense. But um, what's the point I want to make? The point is that you don't need to adhere to an extreme where you just have to like quit your job and like, I'm going to do this. Like it's whatever you want it to be. And if it's something you're inspired by, work on it. That's how I started. I worked in kitchens for a year. I was making curries and scrubbing deep fryers after leaving the bank um, because I just wanted to cook. So this business uh, was something which was a side project, and then, and I was busting my, my ass every single day, and it suddenly became something that I wanted to put more time into. So um, try to stay away from like these extremes of like, oh, I'm not gonna go to school, I'm just gonna hustle, I'm just gonna like, or I'm gonna go to school and I'm gonna have a really secure job. It's whatever works for you, and that sense of agency in your confidence your decisions is going to make you a more rounded person and live a fuller life so uh that's that's my two cents for now <laughs> for now <laughs> there you go but you got more than two cents there um so when each of you started your businesses like how formal were you or how specific were you in the planning process like did you go as far as to like make it a full-on business plan or like so how formal do people I know some people are laughing in the audience because it's like I would never do that or like oh I totally did that so um yeah I I agree well I I don't think that yeah um I didn't just go and start a business um I was working full-time at a company that was that is still like doing really well, had a really great job, high paying. Um, my mom and dad were really happy, I had a secure, stable um, position and started doing this on the side as a hobby. And it was really um, to, like I worked in tech for about eight years and I got really immersed in it to the point where I needed to kind of step away a little bit and, um, do something completely different. Um, tech is so instant. It's um, everything is like you know um, so gratifying. And meeting my partner, making soap, um, making something with our hands, waiting for it to cure, waiting six weeks before you can use it was like really unheard of. Um, with what I was doing with my life at that time. So for us, it was really like doing this on the side. We both had jobs at. Um, different startups and it grew from there and 
for us, it was really um, doing this on the side, watching it kind of grow. It was like pre, um, like we started an Instagram account to kind of showcase the behind the scenes of making candles, making soap, um, what the design process looked like. And then from there, we started to get interest from retailers and other customers and people buying our product that weren't our friends and family who you know, have to buy our product. And then from there, um, me going into my full-time office and being really excited about my hobby, sharing it with my bosses, and them being like, hmm, maybe you should like do this full-time. Um, and from there, having a conversation about how that would look, um, but never like did a formal business plan, um, really just allowed, um, everything to kind of grow organically and see where it took us. Um, and yeah, I learned earlier today that the average age of an entrepreneur is like in their 30s, early 30s. And I think there's always like a huge conversation that you have to do it right away and you have to be like young. But that's kind of a myth. Um, from my experience, um, starting a company at 31 was really awesome because again, I had all these years of experience working in industries that help shape um, and like help me be like, more confident in what I was doing when I was starting my business versus just, again, like not going to school or not working for someone and understanding how that went. So yeah, no formal business plan, but an idea that took kind of had traction and took it from there. I didn't have a business plan. You just started <laughs> dealing dumplings. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I used the skills and what I was passionate about, which was connecting with people and just having a chat with them with food and drink. Um, and that's the values which take me to the, my business, to the reason why I'm sitting in this chair and you guys are listening to what I have to say. Um, no business plan, but I certainly had to put pen to paper and spec everything out, obviously, if you want to see this grow in the long term. Um, but much like Sonia, I, I made the decision to push out into the food and beverage industry and create a little niche and an angle and like a little turf in the food uh, of like the food culture of Vancouver um, based on values, based on a desire to connect a community investigate myself and who I am and show pride in that and also just like do lit stuff. So values for me came first, the business plan came second because the way my brain works is that it's very hard for me to, I don't, I, I don't know, I guess I'm not, I, I am a numbers guy now, but I, if I had started with a business plan with like everything, the numbers and all that stuff, and not looking at the cultural impact and the amount of the human aspect of connecting to people, the business would have failed. So I made my decision based on values and I stuck to it and I had lots of other jobs on the side and I put the hours in and blah, 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 and then it started to take traction. So um, there is no clear answer, but my, um, my advice to you is try to make your decisions on your business ideas based on your values, not on numbers first, because that's gonna carry you through when it gets tough. 
I'm going to switch it up there a little bit. So I think um, I'm actually curious now because I've actually talked to each of you about it in our podcast. But what are some of the values of yourself personally as well as professionally in your business? And we'll go to Bob for this one. Well, I'll tie both questions together because I, I had a business plan of every aspect, you know, margins, number of people. He's an accountant. He's an accountant. <laughs> Doesn't I, surprise I, me, but yeah. this side Very, of the room yeah. probably does. Yeah. And, uh, but in the business plan, it talked about the team that you want to build. And, and so in that, I had to re- literally fill out what I want the team culture to be. And I define culture by, you know, living out your core values. So in that moment, I had to, you know, hypothesize and guess, like, what are my core values that I want to instill on this business? And, you know, some, I can't remember them all, but things like uh, never settle, unleash your untapped potential, we win and lose as a team. Um, and then three others I can't remember. <laughs> but I do live them out. Um, and yeah, so I, that was in my plan. That I defined what each sentence meant, and I defined what kind of person I want on my team. Vivian? So um, one of our values is to build a sustainable business. Does anybody know what a lifestyle business? Does anybody know that reference? So like in the world where there's a lot of tech companies that are like, you know, build, 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 and then you sell for a hundred times what, you know, the value that you started with, people look at lifestyle businesses as something that, you know, is profitable, but is not going to be one of those businesses. I really don't like that term, but that's, you know, effectively what we're growing. So one of our values was to build a sustainable business. And so also probably not shocking when you have two lawyers uh, out of three co-founders. Yeah, we wrote some things down. Um, (laughs) Business plan. But the other thing, too, is because of the sustainability piece of like financial sustainability of the business, we um, we decided to seek out like financing to help us build the business. We decided not to throw like all of our own money in or get investors. We went to banks and because we went to banks, you have to show them projections, business plans, you know, why your team is the right team to trust with their money and then to have the confidence that you're going to pay them back. Um, so we did all of those things so that one of those values kind of governed how we ended up starting. Um, our other values, I would say the ones that we really live by are provide a superior customer experience. So we recognize that a lot of people and and our demographic specifically, they can really vote with their dollars, right? So you can go shop anywhere, um, but the customer service experience that we provide hopefully brings people back. It does bring people back. And then the last um, value that's really important to us is integrity. So integrity as business owners, um, hopefully one day as employers, um, and also as uh, somebody who's selling you a product. Um, it's really important to us to have the integrity of doing the right thing all the time, uh, even if that's hard for the business, and especially when that's hard for the business, integrity was a big one for us. Mm-hmm. It's very important to be able to identify that, and especially those values, will you'll be able to apply that you know, through all the stages of your business as well. Matt and Sonia, did you want to share on that too? or? Uh, values of yes um, my business my business is I am the business so like the my values are more community or community based so it's connection to my clients connection to the people who produce the products I use in my food 
um, and also like the local business owners in all over Chinatown and Vancouver and so forth. So um, that's why my business has grown, not only doing my damnedest to make a delicious product, showing up on time, answering emails and all those be little beautiful things of uh, customer interaction, but uh, it's rooted in community and the connection we have to each other and the food we eat. It gets abstract in that respect, but that's what led me to where I am now, and that's a formula that works, and that's what I stick to as uh, being connected to the people I serve and the people who create the food or create the ingredients that I use and uh, not diverging from that. Mm -hmm. Sonia. Um, so for our, I, I'm gonna just like say Woodlot's values. Um, I would say our um, ownership, creative freedom, autonomy, our team is small, we're like about five, six people in our office uh, daily and we work with a number of freelancers and artists and creatives um, outside of our office, but creative freedom, autonomy is really important. And then um, coming from hospitality background, uh, the customer and like people-centric uh, experience side of things is really important to us. That's awesome. And uh, I got a chance to check out your, your office um, last week, and it was just like really cool to see how everything comes together. So definitely check out uh, the Woodlot Instagram to kind of see like behind the scenes and, and how um, you've really, you know, built your company of kind of like, you know, the products and all the care that goes into each and every single little thing. And if you order from Woodlot um, up until I think it was October 15th, I think, uh, pardon me, end of October, using a special discount code, you'll get 15% off. So you'll have to go to coldtcollective.com, find Sonia's article, and in that article, you will find a special code for 15% off. Really uh, thank smart. you for that. Smart. Yes, smart. it's smart, yeah, that's right. Tasha's idea. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it, it's, for, the it's for the community. <laughs> for you are our community. <laughs> um, and I, I do also want to take a moment to touch upon Cold Tea Collective's values, because um, very much um, like some, uh, some of my um, fellow panelists here, um, we really did start off with the whole idea that, you know, as I mentioned, creating content and stories for us by us. And so around that, like, I want to say that our core values are really about authenticity, um, so, you know, being true to who we are, not being afraid, you know, to, to fit into a certain like box or a certain stereotype or anything like that. Um, we also want to focus on quality. Um, certainly there are a lot of, um, a, a, there's a lot of media to consume, but I like to take pride and I think our editorial team likes to take pride in that we dig deeper and we don't want to just scrape the surface in terms of the stories that we tell. We actually want to, you know, we'll sit with the art, the people that we're interviewing for like an hour or so just to get their full story or at least as much of their story as we can. And hopefully um, that comes across in the stories you get to read as well. Um, we also, you know, to that point too, is one of our values is to dig deeper. So it's not just about, you know, having longer conversations. And it's really going back to also what, what Bob said earlier about asking the right questions, not just kind of taking things for face value and really asking why uh, behind certain um, kind of like why people do things or why you think this way. Why is your perspective like that? Um, because certainly um, there, we're, we're more than just who we see on the outside, we're more than who we portray ourselves to be on social media. We wanna show Asians um, as whole and multidimensional beings. That's kind of, a, that's kind of how, how we roll at Colty Collective. Um, I actually also wanna know, um, 
So this, I'm going to ask you to do maybe something kind of not super Asian, if, if we will. Um, what is something that you're actually really proud of accomplishing <laughs> in your businesses? Maybe we'll start with, uh, with uh, Vivian. Um, yeah, you know what, it's funny, like we don't, I think we don't take the time to celebrate always, like if you're an entrepreneur and, and think about that, like we don't always take the time to celebrate milestones or big things, but actually the two things that I thought of have happened in the last week. Um, so for Flax Sleep itself, um, on Thursday night we won uh, Canada Post's e-commerce innovation award for best startup, so that was sweet. Yeah. Um, so that was really, really great, and uh, and I actually found out that we won that award as we were hauling tables out um, to set up for the Lady Business Summit, which happened on Friday. So that was an event of 90 um, female entrepreneurs in Vancouver coming together uh, to learn about um, all things like legal, accounting, banking, um, and then marketing, how to tell your brand story, how to get out on social media and rise above all the noise. So that, uh, yeah, kind of turned from something social into something that seemed like a bit more educational. And uh, it was, a for anybody who's put on an event in Vancouver, sometimes you're like, is anybody gonna come? Like, I don't know, and, and usually I'm 48 sweating. hours ahead, you're still like, is anyone gonna come? Um, but we filled the room and I'm really proud and a lot of people who came out that day have said afterwards, like, thank you so much. I learned so much. It felt like a really safe room for a bunch of female entrepreneurs. So those are my two that have happened really recently. But hey, congrats. Yes. Dope, dope. Bob, what are you proud uh, of? One of the things I'm, I'm most passionate about is elevating others. So at Legacy Advantage, my old firm, we spent a lot of time developing leaders. Uh, each month we held a, a leadership development club where we invited our team members to come to my house who read a book and, and learn how to, how to lead others. So one of the things I'm most passionate or um, proud of is that there was a round of promotions uh, in my division in the past few months and all except for one, one promotion came from my team. So you know my team was, was trained, was ready, and when the time came, they were promoted because they knew how to be leaders. And that's after um, less than a year after getting acquired, is that right? Yeah, I think within, uh, I think within, within six months, they, yeah, they got promoted. Congrats. Yes. Matt, what are you proud of? Two things. Um, more of a personal thing, which is that I feel really proud that I've been able to create this space which people, like this business, and a set of values which are very visible in the way I present myself online, the way I interact with people, is that I've been able to create a business where I've been able to use all the things I really love, my identity, history, culture, food, uh, writing, streetwear, all these things, like, to make a living and to be known for that, that to me is such something I'm really proud of. Uh, second thing is just like face value stuff, like in the eyes of my parents, of uh, being like on CBC with Gloria Makarenko making dumplings. That was pretty dope. So like my parents were like, yeah, we're proud of you. <laughs> and, uh, that's all it took, so, right? Like, that, that to me was like, because like my mom kind of gets it, my dad doesn't get it. But like to see that, like 
because I just go off. They don't have Instagram. I like insist. Well, my mom is Instagram, but like they don't really know like what I do. Like, where is the value in what I do? And for them to see their son after like three years of saying like I have a dumpling delivery business and like to be, to be like on TV and like to be on the PC Home and Garden Show and being like visible and like confident and people like give a damn about what I have to say and like people are listening. That to me is like the twofold aspects. Like I've been proud that I, I'm proud that I can um, do what I love and call on all those, connect the dots of all my education and my life experiences and my everything and be really um, authentic with people and they love it and they see it in themselves. And then like Gloria Makarenko. <laughs> She was the one. She she she, <laughs> she she made it happen for you. Yeah. yeah in the eyes of your yeah. parents. That's hilarious. Sonia. Um, I echo Vivian. Never slow down to uh, you know celebrate um, anything because you're always thinking about what you have to do next. But we just celebrated five years of being in business, and um, that was really exciting. Lots of ups and downs, but um, you know after talking to many. Um, people that I look up to you know a lot of businesses don't make it to five years so as much as like we can be really hard on ourselves about where we'd like to be where we'd like to go um, the fact that we're you know alive and it's running and we have a team of people working um, with us and have a shared vision is really exciting so um, actually Vivian forced me to slow down and celebrate it because it was around the time that she um, was organizing Lady Business Summit that I realized yeah it's we've been running Woodlot for five years, which is kind of crazy. Um, and then also, I, I'm personal note, I, I made it out alive uh, um, being a mom for a year. Yes. Which, by the way, like for those who are, like, it's probably one of the hardest things I've done, to be honest. Yeah, like I can run, com like I could work and do business and all that, but having a kid is like a completely different thing. Oh, completely. Yeah. Like <laughs> I used to call Woodlot my baby. Like I actually, like I would say, I have a baby named Woodlot and it was like in my bio on Twitter and Instagram and then I had a baby and I was like, yeah, no. It's very different. <laughs> They're like two very different things. Like very, very, very different. So I wouldn't, don't even say that anymore. But and people are like, oh, it's like your baby. I'm like, no, 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 my baby's my baby. And this is my business. Like two completely different things. So there, there are a lot of parallels. There are some yeah. parallels. Bob's got some kids. They keep you <laughs> up at night. Too. Like I yes. get it. There are some parallels, but they're also very different. They are. Yeah. <laughs> Can I add one? Yeah. Proud, proud thing because Matt, Matt reminded me. Like same thing. Like the visibility piece of it. I think the first time our betting was on CTV and whatever, like that became real, right? Like we're, oh, you're on TV. Okay, that's cool. It's good. We're in like a magazine Validation. or anything, which is cool. <laughs> Validation. Totally. Just like that, at least it's super, maybe superficial, but it's like, yo. No, no, it, I yeah. I did this. 100%. Somebody wanted it's to put it internet. on TV, even on the morning news when nobody's awake, but it's fine. Somebody <laughs> wanted to do it. But, and I'm at the risk of sounding like super sappy, like this is a pretty proud moment. My parents are here listening to me talk about being an entrepreneur. And I like how you just air quoted entrepreneur, because I still do that a little bit. Like, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. But to have them here, like, Luckily, they've never come to hear me talk about being a lawyer because that would just be a snooze fest. But, you know, the fact that they're here is actually pretty proud for me. Oh, but yeah. Can we give them another round of applause? Vivian's parents. Yes. My parents are here too. Mom, dad. <laughs> because they have to be. <laughs> How many parents are here? How many parents? Where are the parents at? My aunt's here too. She's visiting from Toronto. Um, no, but you know, it's really funny though. It's like. <laughs> 
<laughs> there she is, Auntie Marilyn. It's actually really funny because I actually worked in television for like three years. I was actually like on TV. And then um, it's like nothing, not a big deal, by the way, guys, it's not a big deal. Um, but uh, my, <laughs> it's funny because like when I, I always, like always wanted to like be, where you talked about what you wanted to be like when you, when you were a kid. I always wanted to be on TV. I always wanted like my own TV show. I always wanted my own media company, except I didn't know it was called a media company back then when I was small. But exactly, like same thing, like it's not real until you actually like see it. And even like when Cold Tea, we were, Cold Tea Collective, we were invited to, you know, be on the CBC to talk about the farewell a couple months ago. And then we also were asked to join um, our friends at Subtle Asian Networking um, to, to talk about their event uh, last month as well. It's just that's when things kind of become real. Um, but that being said, like, I think that, you know, there's so much to be proud of uh, in the room. And what we kind of, what, what I kind of take from that too is that there's also a bit of a, sometimes a generational difference in what, you know, we see as maybe what success might, might look like, right? And it comes in so many different ways, shapes, and forms. Um, uh, really quick question of what does success mean to you? And then we'll open it up for the rest of the room to ask questions. So maybe we'll start with Sonia. What does success mean to you? Ooh, good question. Um, so I've thought a lot about this since we last talked. Um, I would say that for me, um, like success is really a feeling of how, because I've had a lot of different roles and I've worked for different um, employers, now I would say like I I like that I like I own my time I own my day and even with being a mom like I don't have this like sense of guilt when I when I have to like step away from my desk to you know answer a phone um, call about what my son is up to I just feel like for me it really is like success is a feeling in terms of how yeah how I feel at the end of the day it used to be really be. Um, it, it used to be very much something that um, was like materialistic and visible and now it's very much about like energy and feeling and it took me a very long time to get there. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, success uh, for me has changed over time and more so than ever it's kind of cyclical and it moves from like validation from like being on TV or like writing a cool article on a platform to like being recognized on the street, like those are very superficial aspects and they do make me feel successful, like I'm doing something of worth. Um, but, you know, I'm not gonna lie that success involves making money and being comfortable and, you know, growing commercially as well. But also like having that balance of like making time to go for a run and like not stressing out and having a good relationship with my family members and my friends and making time to go out and, or just to have time for myself. So um, it's a holistic, very much like Sonia said, it is a holistic thing, but I do allow myself those little things of being like, yeah, you know, people, people follow me or like, you know, they recognize me or whatever, right? That to me keeps me going, but it's not the sole reason of how I define success. So it changes over time and it will, if we sit down in another five years or wherever, three years, I'll probably say something different again. So, yeah. Keeps changing. Thanks, Matt. So there's a difference between being busy and being impactful. And uh, at university, I didn't know the difference. So I just thought being busy meant successful. Um, so I had a burnout at that, at that time, and, and I really took time to ask myself, what's the purpose of life for me? 
and so I basically, in that moment, uh, came up with the mission statement to be a godly man who loves his family and help others achieve success. And that mission statement drives me in every single decision that I make. So if you're unclear about you know, your purpose uh, or what you want to do next, you got to really think about you know, what does your tombstone say when you pass away? That's one of the things that my mentors ask me. And for me, it's that, it's that statement. So success means to me is every day, that I'm, uh, every day that I live, I am in pursuit of that vision. I am in, in the perp, in, in, on the path of loving my family and, and helping others uh, by adding value, by being here. Um, yeah, that, that's success to me. Mm-hmm. And to read a little bit more about um, you know, how Bob found his purpose, uh, we actually have, if you go to coldtcollective.com and search up his name, you'll actually find two articles um, or actually a little bit more than that, but he actually wrote an article for us uh, last year um, about you know, how, he found, how he found his purpose as well. It's really, really interesting, so I definitely encourage you to take a read on that one. And Vivian, what does success mean to you? So I think um, for me, success is uh, leaving a positive impact on you know, this world and my community. Um, so that's having the, you know, being able to grow a sustainable business, hopefully employ people in that business. Whoa. Bedtime. Um, it's got yeah. real intimate right here. <laughs> um, and also actually, you know, having the, the f- sort of financial sustainability to be able to turn around and help other entrepreneurs. So whether that's investing in their businesses, whether it's um, becoming an advisor to those entrepreneurs, um, that's what I'd like to do. That's amazing, and that's you're very much doing that right now in, in a lot of the work that you're doing, so I feel like you're, you're already there. Excellent. Um, so do we have any questions in the audience? If you do, maybe just kind of raise your hand, and then Hosea will bring the microphone to you. We have a couple in the back here. So there's, there's a lady at the back there waving. She's the one waving right now. I think she had her hand up first. Thank you. Hi, so my question is for Matt. Well, well, hi everybody, my name is Pearly. I'm the author of my upcoming book for students. Now, Matt, you said a lot of your business was based on connections and your network here. Mm. So for me personally, because I was away for a very long time and I did come back, um, but because of various personal family issues, I wasn't able to really make meaningful connections here in Vancouver. How do you build those connections? Because it's very easy for me to, to meet someone and then we would say, well, go for coffee. And then, but at the end of the day, I feel like the connections I'm making, well, I haven't been very strategic too with my business um, to make those meaningful <coughs> connections for my business. Um, so my question is, how do you be really intentional and make those meaningful connections for your business? Because I just meet people Good and question. it's Good fun, question. it's it's great, but um, and I'm building my network slowly, yeah. but I'm not really linking it to what I'm doing. I think. Yeah. Good question. Um, all right. Um, how do we make meaningful connections with people in the city? Um, for me, I use Instagram. <laughs> not going to lie, it's a platform, social media has been a platform for me to get my message out and who I am, what I'm about, how I do things, um, and show myself in a way people want to listen. That's how I've been able to connect to people. And so 
with that being said, I have a business model which allows me to spend one-on-one time with people, so to speak, by delivering or like having them come to my events. So um, that's how I've connected to people. I've put myself out there where people can view me and like subscribe or whatever. Um, but it is a way of, the way I've been able to connect with people is face value, having a message people want to hear and telling it to a way that they want to listen to, but also when you meet them, being that person in real life and staying in touch with people and having a constant, this is going to sound quite um, strategic, but having a constant pipeline of people that you're talking to all the time in different industries, going for coffee and constantly uh, putting your name out there. And that's how people are going to remember you because it took me three years to be like quasi noticeable in Vancouver's food industry or like this sort of like culture. So it takes time, but um, use social media. Yeah, well, (laughs) damn, it's free. It's free. It's free. And uh, it allows you to interact with people in real time in a way which going down the street and giving out your card to people is obsolete now. No one cares. I don't care a bus- carry a business card anymore. I tell them to follow me. And that's how I've been able to stay in contact with people and communicate with them. Because at least they're watching from afar and if they see something that they get value from or they want to connect with you and pitch something with you or connect entrepreneur or business-wise, that's how I've, I've been able to have that reach. Because I'm one dude making dumplings. One-on-ones are hard, right? Like when one-on-ones you are hard. When you run your business and, and, and like Vancouver's kind of a can we go for coffee city? Flake town. <laughs> Flake town. But like that's so so I'm from here too. I'd love to I'd love to have coffee with people all day, but first of all, I can't drink that much caffeine and second of all, you know, it's tough because you're trying to run a business, you're trying to make sure that your messaging is getting out there, you're trying to make time for people, but you know, can I pick your brain is a tough one to kind of, mm. you know, yeah, keep- I feeding into for sure I mean like even like wearing my career consultant hat um, I get asked all the time um, or even like when I'm trying to connect with people as well I am very specific of what I want to talk to that person about um, like even you know you're talking about like sliding into DMs and stuff too I mean I did that with Matt but like we literally found one of our editors Tim he's not he couldn't make it out tonight but we I found him on Instagram he followed us and I just said thanks for the follow and he's like and he's like oh yeah no problem and I'm like what drew you to our content and then we just got into this really long conversation just on Instagram and now he's been with us for like almost a year um, you know messaging people on Instagram um, obviously not the only way but uh that's how we got a lot of our interviews with Asian celebrities and actors uh, down in LA and stuff as well. So it's actually like, it works, um, but certainly not, not the only way, but it, it works better than you think it will, to be honest with you. So sorry, to go back to that, um, yeah, there's nothing wrong with like that old school, let's go for coffee, tell me about yourself, I'm gonna tell you about yourself, but the way people interact now, especially whether it be socially or for business-wise, um, is through social media because it's so quick and so dirty and so fast that that's how we that's how at least we do business now these days so mm-hmm. yeah something yeah, to sure. consider I'd love to chat with you later if you yeah okay. another question Hosea do you want to choose the next person <laughs> hi there my name's uh, Johnny Candavero I'm a high performance coach uh, something that I want to ask the whole panel here is 
uh, as you transitioned from working for in other areas in your life to to where you are now as an entrepreneur, what is the one big thing that you've learned about yourself through this process that's really helped you get through and continue on? Great question. Oh, another thing I want to say is uh, we didn't have a chance to celebrate uh, what the men were proud of. So I want to put the hands together for, for what the guys are, are proud of. So yeah. uh, I don't know if you guys yeah. noticed yeah. that, but we cheered for the ladies. We got to cheer for the guys yeah. too. Oh, my bad. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, yeah. question. For all. I, I don't think it's one thing. I think uh, every week I learn something new because that learning comes from facing a challenge. Um, you know, there's, there was one week where I had three key leaders that told me they wanted to quit. And I wanted to quit too. <laughs> but, I, but I can't. And so I reached out to my mentors and I say, what the heck do I do? And they're like, oh, three people? Don't worry about it. You'll find them. I'm like, oh, I guess so. You know, I'm too dramatic. Um, yeah, so... I, there's there's not one one thing. Um. I mean, to keep going, I think um, definitely, at, like I'm not, I have never been super good about this, but asking for help has been a huge thing. And recognizing when you could be more efficient just by asking for that help from somebody who can give it to you real quick, as opposed to trying to like learn everything yourself, do everything yourself. It's, it's not, sustainability is my big theme. It's just not possible to do it all. So that's what I've learned. Sorry, repeat the question, sorry. Uh, what did you, uh, what have you learned about yourself throughout uh, your journey? That the, there are real lies, oh, what I've learned about myself is that I make things bigger than what they are and most of the time the battleground's right here instead of what's actually in front of me. And knowing that most of the things in life are perpetuated from in here. Um, and trusting yourself that you're allowed to have that space to feel anxious and not see value in yourself and get down on yourself, but also know that you have the capacity to get to where you are because you did it already. So um, what I've learned is allow myself to be anxious and like self-conscious and crappy and whiny and upset and short-tempered, but also knowing that you have the same capacity to internalize and push forward as well, so. Um, well, I've always known this about myself. Um, I'm very hard on myself. For those that know me really well know that it's probably, um, I don't know if it's a weakness or whatnot, but for sure I'm very hard on myself. But what I've learned over the past uh, decade especially is I don't quit. I'm a very hard worker and um, my former employ employers would say that I just get, sorry, language shit done. Um, and that's, that isn't a lot of people. And I've learned that as well by working with a lot of people, um, growing a team and, um, and as a small business, speed is your superpower. And I've found that that is like what our superpower is. And I would never have learned that really if I didn't jump in and do this on my own. Thank you. Thank you for your question. Uh, next question. Hi, my name is Olivia, and my question is, what was a defining moment in your business? It might have been a crucible moment, something that you were blazed into or forged by, um, a time that it really made you think, okay, now we've got something. 
and we've got traction here, and there's a possibility that this is going to be really big. I'm just I'm going to answer this one because I have an answer for this because I had I've been thinking about this. Um, so for Woodlot, it was and hi Olivia. Um, for Woodlot, it was um, so. How many of you are familiar with Colette in Paris? Maybe some of you, maybe not. But um, so that was like a moment for us that was huge because I at the time had never been to Paris and. Um, the buyer from Colette had reached out to us. We were about maybe um, nine months into our into Woodlot, or nine months into doing this full time, and that was huge because a I've never been to Paris. B it's like this iconic retail shop that has emailed us saying, "Hey, we want to stock your product." It was within the first ten retailers, um, and getting that was like there was a compound effect there was other retailers that followed that and um that was something that we really were excited about uh as, as much as it's a, a great question i think it's a i i, I just want to warn against the the romanticism of of the moment because a lot of you know sometimes the business may not have that moment it's just gradual incremental oh is this working okay kind of is this working kind of like you just kind of keep building on that so um you know some businesses have that aha moment for me it's just keep grinding i think when you got bought no <laughs> well that, that was at the end <laughs> yeah and by that time i didn't have anything anymore i sold it <laughs> i think that's a really good question, and it opens up a lot of, there's, again, what Bob said, there's no definitive, for me, there's no definitive um, event, which made me think I'm, oh, actually, maybe there is, but now it is, what defines to me that I'm onto something is the amount of hate I get, which makes me think that I'm onto something because I'm stepping on people's toes, wow. and I'm making them feel uncomfortable. So to me, that to me is a marker that I'm onto something. I mean, not that I'm out making enemies, but there are like trolls, which, you know, comment or, or say things, but never to my face. So that makes me think that if people are hating, it must mean you must be doing something good. That's my correlation. That's my aha moment in 2019. Yeah, that's true. Um, I have kind of mixed feelings about this because I have mixed feelings about social media influencers and, you know, um, but one of the pretty pivotal moments at the very beginning of our business was... Um, a social media influencer buying our product and then without any warning actually like it wasn't a kind of a pay for play thing but without any warning started posting about it and on one day you know website hits sales everything went crazy like crazier than we had ever experienced in the kind of three months we'd been selling you know we every order that came through we're like do we know them are they our friend family right and so finally that started to change, but that one day was ridiculous. Um, but I, I also, you know, hazard against um, kind of pinning it to things like that because those things are fleeting. Uh, it was kind of lucky maybe. Um, and in the same vein, that also set off a whole bunch of other influencers writing us and wanting us to give them stuff. And, you know, when you're getting talked about, like I, a friend of mine texted me the other day and said, hey, I just overheard some people talking about your business in a coffee shop. I was like, oh yeah, what are they saying? Dope, um, dope. But what they were saying was that um, all of our sales came from the fact that we, we use social media influencers, which in my opinion isn't 
couldn't be further from the truth. So it's kind of weird, right? Like it's a good thing to capitalize on, but at the same time, like you get defined by that too. Yeah, great question. I think we have time for one more question. Hi there, my name is Teresa. I'm a digital marketer, really enjoying um, the panel tonight. My question is for all of you guys, including you, Natasha. What's your biggest um, regret in life and or business journey? Hashtag no regrets. <laughs> but R-A-G. Ragrets. Ragrets. Hashtag no regrets. Look it up, guys. Look it up. Biggest regret? Regret? So it's a two. It's a two, double. It's a two-pronged question. Okay. So regrets and our biggest dreams for the future. Huh? What was your question? I'll tell you why it's difficult, at least for me to answer, is, I mean, I, I really don't have any. As in, every mistake that I've made, you know, helped me become who I am today. So yeah, I mean, there are things I, I wish I didn't have, or couldn't have done, or w w hadn't done. Um, but, I mean, then, then I wouldn't be me, uh, I wouldn't be here. So, uh, that's, that, that question is very difficult for me to answer. Could tell by the looks on our faces. Regret is like failure. It's like one of those words where you're like, you have another word for it, where it's like lessons learned, or um, <laughs> like not really a regret. Because yeah, I don't. I agree with you. I don't really have any regrets for my business journey. Um, if anything, I've like lessons obviously learned, and um, you know. I wish that at times we raised more money, or we, uh, when we were being, um, when we had money being dispersed to us through BDC that we took more and we were just more risk adverse when it came to debt or, um, but when it comes to like, I've, we've learned so much, like I, I've shared a lot with, um, on the podcast, but um, I think we wouldn't be here today without those learnings. Like we've had everything from almost running out of money to like hiring people, having to let go of people. And those are all things that you're really scared of doing when you're even in an environment where it's not your business. When you're in an HR environment, all of a sudden you have to let go of someone or you have to let people know that we didn't make um, goals or targets. Everyone, like just rearranging. Um, and for me, yeah, it's not really a regret. I think um, I look at those lessons as like working out, like the more they happen, the better I get at handling them, I guess. Um, but yeah, sorry, I don't really have any regrets. I have a lot of personal regrets, but I'm not gonna talk about those right now. I'm not gonna talk about those right those now. Also, late, late, that's a different event, learning. that's a different talk. Pardon? Those are also learning. Oh yeah, you know, you got married really young, that didn't work out, and you know, all a lot of things, but those are all things I don't wanna talk about right now. <laughs> I also feel like, even though some days I feel pretty old, um, it's early, right? Like I don't, I don't, I, yeah, I don't have a lot of regrets because they've always kind of turned into something else and they shape who you are and all of that stuff, right? Um, I also, you know, one thing I, I've said on the podcast is I also don't regret doing this kind of later on. Um, I don't regret grinding through a couple of jobs first and, and because I think had I not put in those kinds of hours, I really wouldn't 
be able to do the kinds of hours that we do now, which is like kind of never ending. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't regret it. In fact, I tell most people like, don't rush, do the side hustle thing, work for a while, learn from people, like learn from mentors and employers and stuff like that. And then, and kind of, you know, t like form all of that before you go off and decide to start your own thing. I have an answer to that. Um, again, going back to like regrets and mistakes and stuff, like you, you look back and you're like, I wish I hadn't said that, or I wish I had a better relationship with that person, or like habits which were detrimental or whatever, but that defines who you are now, right? Hindsight's 2020. Um, my regret, it what still is, and I'm shedding myself from that, is comparing myself to other people because I need to remind myself that I'm in a business which I've claim this like little market turf, this niche on this food item. And like I'm spinning it and I'm doing it the way I want. So when I'm like doing all this stuff, I'm like, is this right? Like, am I doing this right? Or am I doing this the best way possible, the most efficiently? Am I making enough money? How is this going to be? Is this sustainable? Am I going to be making dumplings forever? So, so my regret is not allowing by comparing too much because we are in a culture We've always been in a culture, a society, where we look at other people and they do things we think perceivably are better than us. So um, I regret that. But if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't be here going like, yo, don't regret anything. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> like, it's very easy to do that, but it keeps you in check and knowing that that is your monkey mind, like doing those things and spinning off. So uh, bringing it back and knowing that, like, yeah, you have value. Okay, I have a regret. Um, so, I regret. This is therapy Pat, now. for inspiring my regrets. My regrets. Um, so a lot of, um, I think I've heard this a lot when you're, you have an idea and you want to get off the ground and you've grinded, you have had a couple of jobs and you're ready to start something. And um, my regret has been over the five years and not over the five years, but like launching and like waiting for something to be really perfect before you launch it, which is kind of stupid because launching something out to the world and then getting feedback on it and then iterating on it is really like the true process of like launching a product. And there's been times like when we first started, I was so fearless. I would just like post like a photo of whatever it is that we were working on. And now because they're, yeah, now everything is about like what it looks like and like the optics of it and things take longer. Um, so that's a regret because that, is time wasted because like the quicker you can get something out into the world is like the faster you can get feedback on whether or not it's going to work or not um, and the more you bottle it up or hold it you know close to you is like time in my opinion like time is what is the most valuable so that's a regret because you can't really get that back no for sure i i would say that mine's kind of in line with with sonia's there um not so much in um, trying to wait to make things perfect, but certainly like we did that with, with Cold Tea Collective. Um, as I said, we've been around for like three years, but we didn't, honestly, we didn't really start pumping out a lot of content until like this past year. And that of course is, you know, due to like the amazing team that we have on board. But um, I think beyond that though, it's more about not believing in myself like sooner. Um, I'm definitely like the kind of person where it's not like I talk down on myself. I'm like, oh, you're horrible. Like you're the crap. It's, it's not like that, but it's more like, um, 
I wish that I would take all these like gradual, you're talking about those gradual like um, steps for growth and gradual steps forward and taking a look at that on the aggregate level as opposed to being like, oh, once I hit this number of followers or once we you know, get, achieve this, blah, blah, blah. Like it's not about that. Um, yeah, so I think just if I paid more attention to kind of the everyday gradual steps we're taking um, or th that I personally was taking with the business, I would probably, you know, um, be a little bit like less fearful of, you know, launching sooner or doing things sooner. And it's actually kind of funny because I was thinking about it recently about how like, you know, when you're young, you're in university, like you're, you're like, I used to plan so many events. I did it professionally before too, but I waited, we waited three years to do an official cold tea event. <laughs> Because I was just like, oh no, what if people don't come? But y'all came, so thank you for that. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, more than that is just believing in yourself. And I mean, to to some people, you get that validation in different ways. Maybe it's you know your parents saying that, wow, you're on CBC with Gloria Makarenko. Um, I think for me, like, I want to share like a funny story with you. It's um, this is not a flex, but it's just a funny story. So it's um, a flex. Too. Okay, fine, <laughs> whatever. Okay, this is what I'm proud of. Um, there. So being a, a, a media company from Vancouver, right? Um, you know, Vancouver, we're just like, yeah, you know, we're from Vancouver, no one really knows us, um, no big deal, all right? Um, so this last May, um, we got accepted as media, um, official media to go cover the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival. And so I was there for like, uh, running around like crazy uh, for almost two weeks, um, but during that time, I think the craziest thing that ever happened there, you know, obviously I met really cool people and stuff, uh, was meeting Chris Pang from Crazy Rich Asians. Um, so he's a guy that plays Colin Koo, um, the best friend of the main character, Nick, uh, in the film. And so I saw him at a party. I was just like, oh, I really want to say hi, but I'm like super awkward. I don't know what to say. Um, so I had this whole thing like planned in my head and it's similar to like having a business plan, having this whole thing planned in your head, what you're gonna do. And then when you actually go out and do it, it's like, oh, I got different feedback than I thought I was gonna get. So before I could even say anything, he looked at me, stuck out his hand, and he was just like, Natasha, Colty Collective, how's it going? I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I died, uh, and then it came back to life, and I died again. Um, it was um, so for me that was just like a really hilarious, funny moment. I like told the team about it. I was like, oh, I almost cried like in the moment there. It was pretty amazing. But yeah, I think just at the end of the day, like for me, what it comes down to is um, just remembering to you know take these moments for myself um, and reminding myself to you know move forward so that I don't have regrets. Long-winded answer, but I thank you for your question. Provocative. Yeah. <laughs> it's provocative. It gets people going. Who knows? The, you know the reference. Okay, good. She get yeah, okay, excellent. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, I'll stop. Um, on that note, um, thank you all so much for coming here. I'm just looking around the room here, and the, the lights are a little bit brighter right now. Um, uh, before we uh, wrap up, I just want to give, once again, a huge round of applause to our speakers for tonight. Vivian, Bob, Matt, and Sonia, thank you so much. Of course, I would just want to say thank you again so much to all of our sponsors and our partners. Of course, to Woodlot, as you just saw, um, giving us our lovely speaker gifts here. Um, of course, to D6. Um, who's been here like prior to this night? 
It's very different when it's like full of people and it's like a speaker event, right? Um, so thank you so much to D6 for hosting us tonight. You, you've been amazing partners to work on um, on this event with. Also, thank you so much again to Van Citypreneur. Uh, definitely check out their events, their meetups, and look out for our recap videos uh, coming out in the next few weeks from our speakers. Um, FMAV for supporting us for audio visuals today. Um, Prototype Thinking Labs, Periphery Digital, Corporate Challenge Canada, and Fresh Prep. Um, once again, just thank you again so much to all of our volunteers, D6, uh, Hosea for, MC, uh, for emceeing with us tonight. Natasha and for hosting. Oh, thank you. Thank you kindly. Any opportunity to get on the microphone. Um, just once again, like we're, so myself, Jose, and Jess are wearing three different t-shirts. Um, we literally just got these printed just for this event. But if you do like the designs, uh, we might be launching some merch later on. Um, you can Vanna White yourself um, if you like. Uh, but just seriously, like once again, it's so amazing to see um, so many new faces and, and uh, familiar faces in the room tonight. So I hope you go out there, meet some new people. I'm more than happy to introduce you to, to others in the room as well um yeah just you know follow cold tea follow our speakers and have a wonderful evening thank you thank you everybody thanks again for tuning into the entrepreneur series on the pearls of wisdom podcast by cold tea collective now our next theme kicks off in december with the focus on health and wellness if you or anyone you know should be featured email us at info at coltycollective.com until then don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for more pearls of wisdom